If you are sitting at home next to your radio, you're hearing the music faster than you are if you're in the hall. Listening for the secret. Searching for the sound. This is The Sound Podcast with Ira Haberman. Listening to Why You've Been Gone So Long from Daniel Donato's latest album, Cosmic Country and Western Songs. I couldn't make it to Peach Festival this year, but the crew of people who I knew that did were raving about a young guy who played the guitar like a man possessed and served up a large heaping plate of cosmic country goodness. 
They, of course, were referring to the captivating Daniel Donato's Cosmic Country. When you first hear Daniel's voice, it's a throwback to the days of country crooners before him. And his playing style is that of a demon, with odes to country, honky-tonk, bluegrass, and good old rock and roll. After hearing both his studio work and some live stuff, I dug into some of the live stuff available at Nugs.net and was blown away. How can it be that such a young man be such a force and be able to create such a mesmerizing sonic pulse? Well, we caught up with the purveyor of Cosmic Country to get the skinny and more. Here's our chat with Daniel Donato. You're a young guy, and you came to guitar at a fairly young age. Talk to me a bit about you getting involved in guitar at, what, 12 when you first started playing guitar? Yeah, I don't know really why it happened, um, but my dad always tried to get me to play when I was younger because I had all this energy and I was always, I was a pretty angry kid. And then guitar didn't work and then he tried to get me into wrestling and I love wrestling. And uh, I did that for probably since, probably all the time from like five until 12. That's all I did. I loved it. I did that. I collected Yu-Gi-Oh cards. <laughs> and something happened with guitar because my, my friends would come over after school and we would start, we would play Guitar Hero. Yep. And I just remember thinking, God, if I could, if I could ever play the song Jessica by the Almond Brothers or, you know, if I, if I could do anything like that, I'd feel like I'm flying, you know? And I, so I started listening a lot to that music. And then one day I heard a, a Guns N' Roses track, Paradise City. Yeah. And something about the fill that starts out that, that song, the... It's like very major. It's very country. And I didn't know what any adjectives for it at the time. And I just... It's actually such a good question because it, it it renders you back to the probably what is the most important thing about music, in my opinion, which is just what is the feeling that it gives you. Right. And that is really the most important thing because that's the first thing that affects you first. That is the first thing that you're ever affected by is, is the feeling. Because it's never, you know, <clears throat> as you get into music and you start having more of an identity that's compounded with it you start to attach different things well this guy sounds like one of my influences or you know phil Spector did this record so i'll listen to it for this reason or mm -hmm. you know brian wilson cut good vibrations at four different studios and i want to try to listen for where the tape edits are right uh you know it's it really is just like what is the feeling and that's like the most important thing so what a marvelous question to start off this this day actually yeah. so that the feeling it gave me was one of triumph and victory and and I remember I, I cut out, I, I was so not into the songs at the time. I was just so in, into guitar. I remember I would just sit on my iPod Nano going on the way to school in the morning. And I would just go from like 15 to 32 or like 32 seconds in to like 49 seconds in, however long that fill is. And I would just listen just to that fill. And it would make me like almost cry. Like it would fill me up with so much passion. Right. Um, and I, so I asked my dad if, if he could teach me how to play that song. And um, he never played professionally. He never even got on stage to play. It was just something he, he just did. 
uh, out of enjoyment and a, a, a hobby, you know, a few days a month just to pick around on a Saturday or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he showed me that it was this new way of communicating with parts of the world I didn't know exist and parts of myself I didn't know exist. And I was so obsessed with that sensation. And um, that's still, that's, that's where it all leads to today. Uh, it's a fascinating story how, uh, you know, in just 13 short years, you're not just listening to fills, but you're actually playing them consistently and making up your own fills. And the expansion of your musical catalog is such that, you know, it may have started with Paradise City and listening to Paradise City while you were uh, playing Guitar Hero. But what it's come to is this this huge catalog of Americana and music that is so rich in history and steeped in 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 so much um the other fascinating story about you is that um your mother is a deadhead but you came to the dead after like you weren't influenced specifically by your mother and the grateful dead it came to you after tell us a bit about how you found out about the grateful dead as i think about it more it's a fascinating thing it's like it's strange um yeah you know just to comment quickly on the history thing you know if you don't have a history then you're not coming from anywhere and if you're not coming from anywhere just by physics it's hard to go somewhere right. you know and that's just the scariest thing about today is that so many platforms um for a lot of people to be artists are are more or less started off just a popular demand because they were they got famous on social media or they were like on a TV show and now they were in a movie. And it's like, that's, you need to have an identity, but you gotta have a history because the history is almost like the, it's a, it's almost something like the, the, the stew in which your the spice that is your identity could be added into. It's a greater collective of identities and personalities that contributed to an ideology and a sound and a a concept before you, you know, and why wouldn't you and all the all the historical fixtures that are in the tapestry of what I am um are things I still listen to today and study you know yeah, and it's because you see yourself in it and then when you see yourself in something you also see what you can be um but with with the dead it was interesting so I had a history teacher uh Mr. Ragland and he was a he was one of the utmost consummate professionals that I ever like had a in that early part of my life had a chance to work with musician or not because at that time i was already working a lot with players that were you know three four times my age um, right but one day after class i remember it was on a thursday um he came he we were we would start class with him at 7 30 and it would go to like 8 15. and at like 8 10 he like stops the seminar i remember it was on the gettysburg address and uh he just very randomly just said, Donato, see me after class. And he was a very stoic hmm. guy. So he didn't, you know, he only spoke when spoken to. Uh, he was very much the boss. If anyone is ever trying to be funny, he would slight them back into their place humbly. You know, he was very good that way. Yeah. He was a great teacher. And so it was weird for him to kind of just ask what was going on and to see me after class, considering I was a great student and I, I was never tardy with anything. And I remember he gave me like, I am not kidding. We actually have some of the binders in my other room, but no need to go get them. But it was like, you know, yeah. at least 12 inches thick full of CDs 
and it was three separate binders and they were all he and they were all zipped up and i remember he said um i need you to take these from me and then never bring them back again and listen to every single one wow <laughs> and so, this is cool you know i'm like okay whatever this is i put them in my my locker and i i go on about the day and and in high school i was very I was very uh, anxious and very depressed. I didn't have, I was socially depressed, but musically inspired. I was very confused. I didn't know yeah. what was going on at all. Um, and so I would just carry my guitar around all day and not really talk to any, like anyone. And I would just get my work done and I would just go play all the time, anywhere I could, just incessantly. And so I'm just carrying around my guitar all day and, and, and just thinking about wh what this possibly could be. And then I, I get back into, into my car to drive home. And it's, it's funny because I open up the binder and it says Dick's Picks. And I have no context of what that means. I'm like, well, why in the world would my teacher give me a CD that says Dick's Picks? This could be rather inappropriate. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, but sure enough, I, I, pl I put it into my mom's Toyota Corolla that she gave me um, at the time. And it was... I think it was down in Florida where there was the big rivers on there, Ro yeah. Jimmy. And um, it just, at the time I was in tears because um, I, I had a gig that night. So I was, I was living in Spring Hill, Tennessee, which is about 35 miles south of Nashville. And I would drive into Nashville Wednesday through Saturday to play with a band down at Roberts, the Don Kelly band. Yeah. And um Roberts is this old honky tonk in Nashville. That's a historical place. And the Don Kelly band was, was a band in Nashville that was locally so historic. Yeah. And I was driving to a gig and big river came on and I just lost it. It's like, how in the world can a band take this Johnny cash song and, and bring new life to it and also make it six minutes and not a single minute of it, um, feels elongated. That's the weird thing about music. Is that when you usually think, you know, okay, well, how long is this going to be? How long is this flight? How long is this seminar? How long is this traffic? How long is the wait at Chick-fil-A? You know, right. How long is it? And the thing about music, though, is that if, if, it's, if it's executed in this way that is like consistently at, a, at the right level of whatever it has to be, none of it feels long. Right. Six minutes, but the six minutes doesn't feel long. It could be a three-hour show, and it doesn't feel long. And it kind of relates to the Bob Saget of like if you're having a good time there is no time i just love that and i that was really one of the first times i was consumed by that way of uh creating time within music was listening to those cds what was awesome was that this was a thursday my, my teacher gave me those cds he came and saw me play on wednesday so we would play wednesday through saturday 6 45 to 10 15. wow early set early set a long set yeah and uh consistent set uh at this, at this really intense musical level that was really designed to like bring people in from the street grab their attention and make them stay yeah um so he came and saw me and i didn't know and so he saw me and then he saw me play and then he was consumed with this um idea to give me his entire bootleg collection of the dead and it it was like 500 plus cds like it was very intense and it's beautiful and it's it's multiple shows uh it's multiple same shows it's you know different tape recordings of of you know seven eight seventy eight of red rocks it was like well here's one from near the rail here's one from 
was all the way up top and it's like you know legitimately a history teacher and right. and if you think about it more going back it's like who better than your history teacher to turn you on to the grateful dead your american history teacher right right you know uh, but what's also weird is i kind of had this mandela effect of the dead because right when i first started guitar my dad gave me three cds it, it was this zeppelin box set so that was a box set of cds rather yeah and then he gave me american beauty and i forget the other one he gave me that's my favorite was, album of all time by the way american is it beauty. yeah i think he gave me use your illusion one and two that's all <laughs> also i think that's what, what a what a crazy gambit of music well it was weird because he doesn't even like the dead really and it's so i and I remember turning on Candyman yeah. and Operator and uh, being, God, like, what is this clean guitar? What is, why is it not really masculine and alpha and distorted, but it's actually more feminine and feels like a rose vine that's ever just growing so slightly and loosely and gorgeously and naturally and clean. And, you know, and, I would just, I was obsessed with that. And then, it, you know, it turns out that, you know, my mom had me when she was very young and single. And so she needed somebody to watch her son when she was working multiple jobs um, for the first few years of my life. And then my uncle would watch me a lot. And we lived on the beach in Brigantine, New Jersey. They shared like a one bedroom apartment, me with them. And he dropped out of high school to follow the dad and couldn't get any part of his life together in any way until he was really in his forties. And then he moved out to Montana to actually become one of the operating partners of the top grossing medical and recreational cannabis business out there. Mm. So it took him a long time. At the time, he was kind of this irresponsible, <laughs> loose figure that would just appear and then disappear. And I'd see him. And he, uh, we lived on the beach and my mom would work. He didn't tell me this until 2020, but he would he would just drop a little bit of acid and go hang out on the beach and bring me along. <laughs> and he would bring a, he had this boom box, this Sony boom box, and he would play dead tapes. And this was when I was one, two, three years old. So it's kind of always been around in my psyche, even if it was conscious or not. And then when I was 12 listening to American beauty, it's like, I swear to God that I've heard this before. I know I I've had this, it's a Mandela effect, yeah, this right. memory, it didn't happen, but it did. Um, but yeah, I talking about one of that being one of the best albums ever. I, I don't think that's an inaccurate hypothesis. It's one of the best. It's interesting that you mention um, the playing because it is something that I noticed in your playing too, that there is a very, clean tone to what you do and I don't I didn't know if that was initially because of the music that you were playing with the Don Kelly band and immersing yourself kind of in that country bluegrass Americana thing and thus it needed to be that clean so that it was reminiscent of those guitar players that came before you or if it was uh, a choice or if it was just something that felt comfortable and now hearing what you're saying about Candyman and Operator and Jerry's playing, it makes a lot of sense that that that's the throughput is that it's it's that very natural way of playing an electric guitar without adding a lot. Now, of course, later on in Jerry's career, he added yeah. tons of stuff, tons of MIDI and everything else. But, you know, those early years were just him and a guitar and, and playing so cleanly and so effortlessly and so melodically 
that when I first heard you play, there were there were a lot of similarities to that to that sort of sense. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, also, what I found, and and it's great that you mentioned the Don Kelly band because I've I've been to Nashville and I've I actually went to Tootsie's. I went to the wrong honky tonk, but. <laughs> Um, um, talk to me about the Don Kelly band. You're a young guy. You, you want to play. And so you try out for the Don Kelly band. They're, they're short a guitar player. How did, how did that all come to pass? Because that's a incredibly important stepping stone to, to cosmic country. So how did, how did, how did playing in the Don Kelly band happen? It happened in a way that was very natural and persistent. And so, you know, I was 12. This is when you're going in from middle school to high school. And yeah. that's typically a different, that, that's always a memorable part of everybody's life. Yeah. That part into early, or the early teenager years of your life. And I was becoming consumed by guitar. So I, I was, I actually I was 14 at this time rather. Um, and my dad had this idea for, it, for me to go downtown and take out my acoustic guitar and um, go make some bucks and just see if I could have fun for the summer playing music. Right. And uh, I, we go downtown, I think it's a Saturday. I could be wrong. And I play for a few hours, you know, four or five hours out on the street or whatever it was. I remember it being a very long time. And, uh, I made no money because I had this acoustic guitar and it was a busy day. Nobody could hear me. And I was very shy. You know, it was my first yeah. time playing my guitar out into the public world. <laughs> and it was on Broadway. <laughs> and, uh, you know, th this thing of really wanting to go out there and, and play and, 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 com and communicate with people just didn't happen. And I was d very sad and depressed. It's like, I'm very let down. And so we're walking back to the parking garage and, and uh, we passed this bar that is very promptly named Legends Corner. And uh, this band that was playing was about to take a break and they saw me walking by and from the stage on their microphone called me up and decided they would do one or two more songs and then pass the tip jug while I was playing. Right. Um, total happenstance of chance. And the fella who did it was Rockin' Randy Hall. That's his name. And Randy was my first mentor. And Randy was a marvelous man of America. Lived in the West, lived in Texas, lived in New York City, was a bodybuilder, went to Vietnam, got shot in the ass when he was coming out of a helicopter. Wow. You know, fought, had a gorgeous wife that he lost to cancer early on in his life and, and then surrendered himself back into music and played on the bars, played in all the bars downtown for a few years before heading back to Texas. And I caught him in that part of his life. And uh, he was a wacky guy. He would, he would attach LED Christmas string lights to his base on his fretboard. <laughs> and like, it, it, he would never stand up except when he was in the pocket and feeling it and grooving. Yeah. And uh, he called me on stage and had me play with him. And he saw this thing in me. And so I get to play and I play, I play a Telecaster for the first time plugged into a Fender Champ 100. And uh, I just, I'll never forget the first when we were playing Old Time Rock and Roll by Bob Seger, I think in B. And I knew B, minor pentatonic. 
And I remember going to the flat seven, bending up to the one from the 10th fret to the 12th fret on the B string. And I'll never forget this. Um, you know, cause, okay. So this is one of those honky tonks to where you walk in, right. And it's right, immediately to your left is the stage. So you're being, yeah. and then immediately to your right is a bar where you could sit. And then the rest of the room is GA. And so there was a woman sitting, you know, not, not even 10 feet away from me, this older woman, I remember playing this note and it just, she threw her hands up in the air. Just like a like a goal, like or like a like a like any any successful feat of accuracy. Yes. And uh, I kind of hit this metaphysical goal of like the ball into the basket and the dominant seven back into the tonic. And even metaphorically, those two things kind of, by physics of meaning, are the same thing because you have the ball that is tension leading to the release of the goal. And then in this weird meta way with music, you have the dominant seven, which is a leading function that leads you back into the resolution of the one, right. which is where everything starts and comes from. It's this major place of release. And I remember hitting that goal and then she put her hands up and it just moved me in this way because I was moved by something and she was moved by something. Yeah. And that mutual agreeance, uh, which I'm not even sure if agreeance is a word, uh, agreement of meaning mm -hmm. and love in something that I created that she was feeling. I just, I understood that at 14. Like I, yeah. I understood it. I understood how important that was. And that I wanted to pursue that. There was a lot of value there. And I had a vision for my life. I just knew that this is where to start. You know, it wasn't very absolutist of this is what it is. It's just start here and do this and keep doing this. So we, I go back and I keep seeing this band every Saturday. And so I would go sit in with them. I would go busk on the street for four or five hours. And then we would go and see the Don Kelly band. But before that regular every Saturday thing happened, I sit in with this band at Legends Quarter. And then, you know, I thought I wasn't going to go back down and ever do it again because I didn't make any money. And uh, But sitting in with this band inspired me. And so I, I asked my dad if we could go down again the next day after making no dollars, but sitting in with this band and, you know, that was really my payoff for the day from the universe, not just a right. couple bucks. If I had all my on this Converse shoe box, uh, it said saving up for a Telecaster. I had my mom help me write it out because I knew I wanted one of those. And so this next day we go back downtown and I make like to the, like literally to the dollar, I made $555. Wow. In this like weird casino number, 555. <laughs> That's, I just love that. And so I'm, it's, it's wild and I, I'm, I'm filled with this energy of, man, I'm finding something in my life that I can do and that, that, that can be me and that I see meaning in. And we're walking back to the car and I, I just smell this amazing food and I hear this weird, oddly thin, yet pointy, minor pentatonic blues in D. And I'm just like, God, fuck, that hits me in my soul. I just, without even thinking, I just go into this bar. And it was around 6.30, you know? And so we, my dad and I, Alou officially walk into Roberts and we had no idea that we weren't even supposed to be in there because after six, you're not allowed to be in there unless you're 21. Right. And the universe had it to where there was no door guy there at that time. <laughs> uh, now all my friends are, my door, are the door guys there and I know all those cats and I can see why because they were probably out in the back smoking a joint or something before things started to get busy. Um, at the time, you know, I didn't know. So we go and we see this band, the Don Kelly band, and I'm sitting right up front. I'm sitting by the ATM that is directly there as you enter this, 
the room and I am less than 10 feet away from JD Simon, who was playing in the band at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember they played Ghost Riders in the Sky. And uh, it was really heavy. Hmm. It was like, I've never seen someone be able to channel so much emotion yeah. through their instrument. Emotions I didn't even know like I had at the time and just how deep they were alive in me. And it was, he was so, at that time too, I got to know JD more. He was, he was really like, he was 24 at the time. He was really trying to prove something. He like needed to make money to live. Yeah. And he was on this journey to discover himself. And it just brought me to tears seeing him play. Like it made me, even still this day, I, I, st- I start to cry a little when I talk about it. Yeah. He was hitting all these like major sixth chords on these bluegrass songs and he had no pedals. He was so technical yet so raw. Yeah, it's the best thing I'd ever seen. And so perhaps one of the most important days of my life. After he played, he came down and he talked to me. And it was this thing of like, he's like, oh, wow, I really see that this is moving you. And I really see that you love this. And uh, he was like, learn everything you ever do by ear. Wow. And I remember thinking, God, like, I'm, of course. <laughs> don't look up the tabs. Don't, don't take the hard, but don't take the easy way. Take the hard way. Right. And, uh, you know, I went home that next day and I learned all these Johnny Cash songs by ear. I spent like 14 hours. I was just in there in the lab learning. And then uh, I would, we would go down every week and see this band. And I would give Don my card. My dad and I made up these really psychedelic looking kind of cosmic business cards, which (laughs) everything was even cosmic country. Even then I didn't even realize that until now. And, uh, I remember one day, it was like after three years, of like lit, I only missed like three Saturdays after three years. I, I gave Don my business card every Saturday. You know, I was, I was like, hey, I know all your hundred songs. I can totally, I can do this if JD can't right. make it. And one day when I was 17, you know, JD was cutting his hand, making a sandwich. <laughs> and like, <laughs> it was right out when school got out. I remember school got out at 2.37 and it was like 2.40. When Don called me, I was walking up to my car. He's like, Danny, <laughs> JD cut his fucking hand making a sandwich and I need you to come play. Wow. <laughs> and I got, man, you know, and I went down there and I, I put on my coolest outfit and I had everything ready. And, you know, sure enough, sure enough, it was uh, this, you know, and that was what started it all. And Don offered me the gig right after I played the first show. So 450 shows later, as legend has it. 464, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, that band, what happens? They, they break up? What, what happens? How come, how come that they... The band goes on. The band ends up oh. going all the way up until 2020. I leave them and I think I leave them somewhere in 2015 or 16. Got it. And what happened was I was 
out back smoking a joint around midnight mm-hmm. uh, downtown. It was a Saturday. And we would play from 6 to 6.45, 10, 15, as you know. So I, remember, I think it was around midnight and it was pretty late and I was just hanging out at Robert's and I was smoking a joint and Don found out and he didn't like that. He grew, no. up in a, he grew up in a time and a part of the country and in a household that they just didn't view that in a way that was anyway with their own, which is you, just, you can't do those things. And if you do those things, they're negative. Right. And listen, I empathize with that. I really do. I don't, I don't practice that. But at the time, uh, I got let go from this. And it was, it, it was so tough. It was mm-hmm. so tough. I was so depressed. I've never been sadder. And I couldn't, I didn't have any money. I couldn't pay for anything. I didn't have any money for, for a while. You know, and it's, it's, it was an odd experience to be so studious and dedicated to this craft. And then it kind of get taken away. Uh, just from one decision but it, it didn't get taken away and it took me a, a long time to realize that because now in the where the trip is i i've organized so much of the show um in the music into a way that is influenced by don and his intense leadership and uh you know i wouldn't trade anything for that part of my life it, it was one of the most experientially satisfying parts of my life and probably musically, it was so easy. You, you, you made just enough money um, to have a, a great life. And you had just the little amount of responsibility because you were just the guitar player in this great band that ran itself. And it's like, you know, it was such an easy, also intense part of, of playing music because when you're playing downtown and you have to make money from tips, not from original music, the transaction is very different. You, you kind of have to win people over in a way that's very Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. And it's, but when, when you have the original music transaction, it's, it, it's a different part of the psyche and a different part of the soul. And so I grew up in, 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 with playing music in this way that was very like short shelf life, like, you know, two for one music kind of a yeah. thing. Um, it took, it's still taking me time to adjust to that and, and live in the bandwidth that original music, you know, rightfully commands and requires um it's a different trip but yeah man it, so after that i go on the road with a bunch of bands i i i this is when i entered the part of the life where it's you're in the van with strangers and i got i remember the first gig i took after roberts was a, with an amazing indie rock band called turbo fruits <laughs> and it was jonas stein was the leader and I, I Matt, I forget Matt's last name on drums and they were these like, they were in their early thirties and they've been doing it for 10 years and they were in the Chevy Astro van and they were smoking weed out of, out of apples, um, not having a hotel room. And they were just, a, it was drums and bass and they needed a guitar player. Right. And so they, I, I went on the road with for a hundred dollars for three days total with no per diem. And, um, Ah, oh, it was crazy. It's like you're brushing your teeth in the venue, you're sleeping in the van, you're going on at midnight, playing till two thirty. It's like, what is this deal? And you're you're seeing a whole unprofessionally driven side of music that Roberts was not. Not that being unprofessionally driven doesn't yield to success in music, because music is weird in that way. You can be the least professional person in the world and be one of the best artists ever. Yeah, as we, I, I think the world's changing a little bit to where it does command a bit of professionalism. 
Uh, but it was it was interesting because it was confusing for me to realize that music could be this raw and this disorganized right. and this this free flowing. No set list? What do you mean no set list? What do you mean? Oh you, oh, you broke a string? You don't care? You just keep playing? Order another beer? Okay. You know, it's a, a whole different thing. Whole different thing. Equally valid. So <sighs> at what point, what point did you decide? Because it's so consistent with your ethos and who you are. At what point did you decide? I got to do this on my own. I got to, I got to make my own way. I got to have something that is my own, something that is Daniel Donato's cosmic country or, or whatever. At what point did you realize that that had to come to fruition? This is where the unconscious is like very unfair, I think, because it's, it's, it's very much like you achieve a thing and then the unconscious or whatever part of your mind is, it's like, all right, good. Here's the next one. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, there's almost like no period of time. It's almost instant. <laughs> and so I remember it was when I was playing it down at Roberts, oddly enough. It was like, I remember being very early on in that gig being like, it wasn't like I want to, it's like, it, it's part of my mind's like, you're going to have to do this on your own one day. Right. You know, and that's when I was, I, I was very respectful and appreciative of being able to work with a great band leader like Don, <laughs> you know, it's like he was an archetype onto his own accord. Like he, he was in the military. He was Texas, Dust Bowl, like grew up, you had all kinds of siblings living in a one bedroom house, you know, no money growing up and just worked for every single thing he ever had in his life and did very well for himself in this, um, in his own way, really. And uh, so it was when I was down at, at Roberts and, and then um, I don't know why, you know, I just didn't, part of my mind didn't, hadn't allowed me to have that sense of urgency to go and try to do my own thing. I really just had to make money yeah. after I got let go from Roberts. And so I went on the road with a lot of different acts doing, playing different levels of work and all meaningful and, but I never fit in anywhere. You couldn't, I'm not the kind of guitar player where you can just hire me and I, I fit into your band, you know, easily. I sound like me. Yeah. And I had to go through this entire guilt process of living in Nashville where there's a social currency of how much you cannot sound like yourself and how that's a pretty valuable trait. And rightfully so, you know, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. But I didn't recognize the trait of being yourself in the challenge that that can present and the story and the odyssey that can be presented within accepting that challenge and that part of just who you are. Some yeah. people sound like themselves and some people sound like the collective. And there's a great value in being a person who can create what is collectively popular, but I'm not that kind of a person. And, but Nashville is that kind of a city. So it was like very, I got fired from my job. I'm, I'm a loser and people are, there's all kinds of people aren't hiring me because they think I do, I do too many drugs and it's like, I'm just this really hard working studious musician that's really passionate wanted to hop on something. But I got a lot of gigs and it was fun. And I have so many stories you can go for hours on what those years presented. But yeah. Cosmic Country came into fruition in like 2018 is where I, I did the, you know, gather a hundred emails and email all of them pretending to be somebody else saying they want to book Daniel Donato at their venue. And I remember three places emailed me back and I got to my mom's. No, no, actually, no, I rented a van from this guy. And I remember on our first gig on the first night, it was in uh, Louisville, Kentucky mm -hmm. at 
a pub down there. I forget what it was called. And we were back in the van out of the alley. And it was this tight alley. And we broke the side view mirror. <laughs> it was like, just from the start, just the comedy of failure, yeah. <laughs> you know, but patience, persistence, and positivity really th throughout each step and day of the way. Um, the other thing that, you know, aside from your remarkable playing and you being you, the other thing that I find interesting is the vocal stylings of one Daniel Donato and, and how it's, um, it's a fresh, fresh sound, I think is the, is a, is one way to put your, your singing and, 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 and your performance on stage. How much, how much, if, if there's a hundred percent of time, how much is spent playing guitar versus how much is spent singing and practicing that because that's a equally important part of of what you do yeah so my mind is it like allows me to see the value of things when the time is right and um it i never saw the value in trying to learn how to sing for some reason i was just so consumed with guitar uh up until i started writing and then i started to get into that in, in how people phrase. I remember Stardust by Willie Nelson. That whole record was very influential on me. A lot of Willie Nelson, a lot of Willie Nelson, a lot of, um, a, a lot of Merle Haggard, a lot of Jerry Garcia, a lot of Bob Dylan, and uh, a lot of Don Williams. Waylon. Yeah, Waylon more for the songwriting. I love his singing, but, um, and then like a lot of old country singers like Hank Williams Sr., um, Hank Snow, and um, Webb Pierce was really big for me. Webb Pierce with his really, his vibrato is more and more, I'm forgetting the past, his vibrato, mm -hmm. that whole thing. It's like such a fascinating way to sing and deliver a lyric and then you know hank with these you know have you ever seen a robin weep when leaves begin to die or then you have willie who more or less just talks things you know i'm writing a song all about you a true song is real as my tears. And so it's, and then Merle, you know, there's all, it, 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 who's very lefty Frizzell driven. And then yeah. there's Gary, you know, who, you know, obviously is lefty Frizzell driven because you go into the acoustic records and he has, you know, always late with your kisses. You know, it's like, so I guess it, it and Bob Wills too. I love, and Buck Owens, man. Buck yeah. Owens with these really big, the grandiose, Oh, the sun's gonna shine in my life once more. It's like these really big O's and full of breath and just figuring out how to do that. I didn't start thinking of any of that until I was in my 20s. I remember when exactly, but now all the time, it's, it's pretty much vocal all the time. And I, now I realize that it's, it's two separate minds. It's not the same mind uh -huh. or it's two, two separate regions of the mind, if you will. I think when you're playing versus singing.
you don't want to confuse because if you're so established in a certain instrument like a lot of guitar players have a hard time when they or musicians who who are so realized on the vocal on on the voice of their instrument that's not their voice they forget that their voice is a separate instrument right you know and so it's a journey it's a journey the the last record cosmic country has been out uh for a while now um, I can only imagine that you are working on another record at this point. Is there plans to release more music? I mean, you're certainly on the road plenty, so that must occupy a lot of your time. But is there plans to make more, more original music and, and, and spend more time doing that? Yeah, so we're going to do two records next year, and then we're going to release live records. Um, and so, and they were releasing every show we do on Nugs. Yeah. yeah. So there was this period of time where I wasn't, I was always, I've always put, been putting out music since 2018, since I started touring, but I didn't really have a vision. I had somewhat of a vision, but I didn't have a, a vision that I could really hold in my hands. Um, abstractly speaking mm -hmm. and the time came after covid to where you know i just see now i see more i see who i am more and what i can be more yeah mm -hmm. uh, so next year because the thing i wasn't allowing myself to indulge in my prolific nature and i'm not saying prolifically successful i'm just being prolific just putting out stuff putting out stuff, just doing things all the fucking time. Yeah. Um, those have always been my heroes. Uh, Bobby Fisher, you know, Howard Stern, right. uh, the people that what they, whatever it is that they're doing, they're doing it all the time. Jerry, um, yes. you know what I mean? It's like it, it, the, the list goes on and on. Dale Carnegie wrote a lot of books and I love that guy, you know, and Bukowski was one of my favorite poets. And mm -hmm. you read about Bukowski and how much that guy fucking wrote. It was insane. Yes. And I always identified with that. And I play guitar that way. I, I do music that way. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly. So it took me a while to give myself that permission to just accept that there really is no wrong answer. And it's as simple as that. And it's also as complex as that, as to what you put out and what you put into the world. But next year is the year of me allowing me to exercise that muscle and keep that going as long as I can. Um, so yeah, we're going to do two records next year and then we're doing a, a live record. Um, I think it's going to be called cosmic gold. <laughs> I don't know. It's either that, or I'm so, I'm so happy you're here. I'm not, I'm not sure. Well, it might be an ongoing series of live records and releases, but yeah. Before we let you go, I wanted to talk about some of your contemporaries and, um, Hearing you play guitar and understanding how old you are, I think of people like Billy Strings. I think of people like Marcus King. I think of people like Molly Tuttle. I think of, you know, younger people who are immersing themselves in music of the past, because as you said, in order to go forward, you have to know where you come from. And um, it's interesting to me that there is a collective of you guys, and I don't know if you're friends or not, or if you even know who I'm talking about, but there does seem to be a collective of you guys, uh, you younger cats, who pay such significant homage to what's come before you in order to 
create your own path forward. And that's certainly the case, you know, Billy's playing with Bill Kreutzmann and Trey Anastasio, but he's also created this whole band and this whole ethos around the Billy string shows and, and doing what he does. And Marcus has done the same thing. Is that something that you pay attention to how, how people, your contemporaries are, are doing very similar things and, and, and are being successful in that way? Yeah, absolutely. I, I pay attention and I really follow Billy. Um, I don't follow Marcus and Molly as much. I just think Billy is a generational talent. You know, I think that guy is just going to go down as, you know, one of the best ever mm -hmm. uh, already is, you know, you're going to be seeing, you're going to be seeing Billy in amphitheaters every summer for the next however many years he wants to do it, you know, and that's, that really is the thing. I think that's the, he, he was the first guy in our, in our uh, generations. Like there was a time when Marcus, Molly, Billy, and I were all living within five miles of each other in East Nashville. You know, so the way that this happens, it's very Malcolm Gladwell in that way, where it, these things happen in pockets. Yeah. I remember going and seeing Chris Stapleton and Sturgill Simpson play at the five spot in Nashville for, I remember I paid $5 to see Sturgill. Mm. You know, it was like, no one was there and he was just pissed, you know, and he was doing so good. He was just amazing. It was like, who the fuck is this guy? So all these, um, this is that we're like in the era of that whatever this era of Nashville will sound be called, but that is what's happening. I think. Yeah. There seems to be a, a renaissance, even like, I guess you're right. Chris Stapleton and Sergio before you guys a little bit. Yeah. But something with Billy, the thing with Billy is that he was able, it, it probably wasn't even conscious, but he was able to really tap into the chromosome. That is the, the, the grateful dead audience, you know, and, I think you have as well. Or oh, are yeah. starting to. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing is and so I, I think that was because the music he he did that he does, you know, yeah. all you know, streamline cannonball, uh Shady Grove. Yes. You know, uh, Wabash oh, Cannonball. Oh yeah, it was an olden in the way and but he didn't know that. And so that's the thing is that he heroically stepped into his love for that music in a way that was completely inspired on his own accord. And it, I think it just so happened that every Grateful Dead fan in America would also love him, you know, for that. And it's, I think that's astounding. And I, I just love that guy. I think he's an absolute genius in what he does. Um, yes. Yeah, so I do watch them, you know, absolutely. I, I love what they're all doing. Molly with Golden Highway is awesome. And then Marcus, you know, working with Dan Auerbach, making music that is more, commercially driven it sounds like and formatted for uh, a, a popular music listener within yes. that platform and that's totally cool the thing that i learned from billy though is that's where my eggs are going my eggs are going into the live music basket yeah and i i so i could care less about getting any kind of other success outside of that domain um so that guy's a hero to me at first when billy strings was coming up I was very like jealous and I, I like, couldn't, I couldn't, I had this weird thing with my ego where like, I couldn't get into him. And, um, but the power and truth of what is real within music always prevails. Mm -hmm. And now I just, I listen to him all the time and I read his lyrics and I think he's just a genius. Yeah. Well, 
some could say uh, similar things about you. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I appreciate how responsive you are on social media to my little comments. I, I got to tell you, from the moment I put on um, some of those live shows, and that that one show in particular, it's April 27th, I think 2000 or 2000, uh, sorry, 2021, which was my birthday, that that Cumberland Blues, I think, or or it's just... Oh, yeah, April, was it this year, you mean, 2022? April it might 27th? have been whatever whatever I was listening to on Nugs and I and I it was just incredible. I mean, yeah. it is. Which one was that? Asbury Park? No, no. April twenty seventh was Farmville, Virginia. Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah, it was. Oh man, thank it's you. It's just it's just it's really good, and it is. It is. I think for me at least, sonically on par with what Billy does, but in a very different way. Obviously, Billy's an acoustic player, and he's more of a picker. Where whereas you're you know, obviously an electric guitar player and you do, you know, longer runs and whatever. And, and so yeah. to me, you both have your place in my head, in my ears, and yeah. that's good. And I think, and I think there's no need, you know, it's always like, who's better. You see that a lot. Like you see on, particularly because I mine, you know, Facebook and, and uh, group on social chats, media. Yeah. on social media around, you know, you know, this band is better than that band. And this band is still coming up and why aren't they being, um, glorified as much as the other band why can't we have both why can't we have billy strings and daniel donato and one day maybe they should share the stage together i mean why why can't we have both and and enjoy both and so don't Let be jealous add, love it no, all me too so i agree you know and so the reason why i was able to identify a jealousy on my own end and, and relinquish myself of it um because someone asked me how if i was ever jealous about it about Billy getting so successful and me not. I was like, well, I, I asked this question to myself, which is, wait, 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 life's not over. Yeah. And then, and then two, it's a feast, not a famine. You got to remind yourself of that. And the thing of why I wasn't reminding myself of that is because I was spending too much time in the public domain of reading people's ideas because the, the game that the social media platforms really dwell in and they evolve to this very intricate degree is the game that is a, is one of famine there can only be one there can only be two there can only be three it's a feast yes it's a feast not a famine nature is telling us this at all points in time there's a new day every day you cut down a tree another one grows it shit just keeps regenerating and then you know you know what's interesting is you should watch if you ever get the chance trey and dave matthews going down to Africa together, the mm. MTV special. Cause there was, I was talking to all, I have a lot of friends that are late forties, early fifties that were going to see Dave for $25 then fish for 35 and 250 cap venues. I'm not yeah. going. Oh, there you go. <laughs> all the, but these cats at the time, they were like, oh, you know, Dave's got no staying power and fish has, you know, it's been doctors yeah. are gonna be better than fish. It's like, let time will tell and and also there's room for both because now Correct. both of these artists are doing amphitheaters and arenas every year all summer long all fall long and yeah so i think the, the market has room for everyone and just reminding yourself of that especially for someone who's very analytical like myself mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. thanks dude for taking the time as i said really appreciate it appreciate the great music that you're playing and uh 
we were only supposed to spend a half hour. We spent almost an hour. So, so thanks for taking time out of your day. We really appreciate it. Oh yeah, man. Whatever the truth requires is whatever time it takes. I'm, I'm just happy. Thank you. Be well. Okay. All right. Have a good one. I could have spoken with Daniel for several more hours and we'll catch up again when he has a new album out. To learn more about his tour and other goings on, visit DanielDonato.com. Before we leave you, let's head over to the Southern in Charlottesville, Virginia for Daniel Donato's Cosmic Country and their performance of the Grateful Dead's Cumberland Blues into Luck of the Draw. Enjoy.
You've been listening to The Sound Podcast. Technical production by Adam Karsh and Andrea Ruse. Inspired by the music we love. For more, visit thesoundpodcast.com.